I will say uh, I'm glad you guys hit me up again. This is I always look forward to doing this. I really do. So. Hey, well, oh man, I'm always pushing you. to have you on. So. <laughs> it's mutual. It's a, it's yeah, a highlight. Absolutely. It's I'll, also like as you know, it's the only way I talk to my friends. So. It is. Yeah. It's actually it's accurate. How I catch up with it's people. Schedule accurate. it. Yeah. Uh, even Abe. I mean, Abe, you would agree. Most of our communication is while we're podcasting, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 I love this because it's always, this always makes me, uh, every episode, except for the under the skin episode, uh, I get to be the heel, which I never do. <laughs> I saw your tweet. So, okay. So we're already in it. The, look around you. We're in the frame rate, I think, because. Are, are yeah. we, so when you say, when you say heel, what do you mean? I'll, yeah, go I'll, on, Abe. How are you going to heal this episode? I I think we should start with well, first the mutual appreciation of one another because that's always nice. But now, Abe, explain how you're going to ruin the episode. Then we'll get into it. <laughs> I like the uh, I like to be an organic heel. You know, I like the heel to develop. So I'm not going to just outright say thesis. Other than obviously, if you've been following our opinions on this podcast, which once again is frame rate where we rate frames uh i'm abe epperson <laughs> and what, i'm michael swain uh and our guest introduce yourself hello my name is brooks brown and i've uh, basically been doing a lot of the weird ones i think yeah I think you guys go oh this is a weird guy. one is brooks here <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so they if you've been following any of the podcasts that have the three of us uh You'll usually know that I am the guy who loves Charlie Kaufman, and these two fuckers just hate him, <laughs> just can't stand him. And so that's what you're going to be hearing in this podcast. <laughs> well, he took the only bit possible and made things confusing. Yeah. No, the opposite is true, you son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. I saw your tweet. You said, and you said it of today's film, which is Anomalisa by Charlie Kaufman, mm -hmm. you said... uh I think I'm paraphrasing correctly here. You tweeted, I'm watching Anomalisa right now, and my favorite part is when I look at the clock and time has advanced. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, which which means that, uh, you know, I'm a little bit closer to the end of Anomalisa. <laughs> I think that's yeah. how I ended it. Yeah, and yeah, while we're, while we're sitting in this moment, um, we should add mention Abe the Mighty. <laughs> that this great, at Abe the Mighty on Twitter, Mr. Kaufman, we know you're listening. Uh we should mention that this was brought to us by a patron. So Abe is literally yes. spitting in the hand that feeds him. Yeah, that's true. I'm sorry, Zach. <laughs> Zach is Zach our... Schwartz, a true hero, man. He sponsored <laughs> uh, so many flicks for us. God, yeah, true hero of the bean. Mm -hmm. Right? I think that Matt, we can put him oh, in he's that He's one category. of the beaniest out there. Yeah. I mean, like, maybe uh, maybe the beans don't know that, that we have a hero of the bean. Uh, that's a thing that we have, and Zach just got it. So, sure. Yeah, no, yeah. No, don't, yeah. Hero of the bean of the month. We reserve the right yeah, to have okay, other heroes yeah, later. True. Yeah. But thank you, Zach Schwartz. And, yes, thank uh, you, dude. Yeah. Uh, here we go. Well, he I, selected I, Anomaly. <laughs> here we go. I, Let's I, get into I, it. I'm just going to jump in and just say sort of, uh, it, this one might be a standout. We, so for those who don't know, uh, we've done a few of Kaufman's films and a lot of weird ones. And we've talked Abe now through a handful where he was very much not entertained. This may not be a case where I do a lot of defending of this film, though, Abe. Ooh. Oh, interesting. Because, yeah, I was just going to invite Brooks as our guest. The usual th thing we do is... Uh, let's get your hot take or fresh take, having just watched or rewatched it. Uh, and full disclosure, 
you're a real Kaufman head, right? I, so I, you're coming, I, and you'd seen this before, I he's assume. He's a Kaufman. I, I have seen all of Kaufman's films multiple times. I'm the kind of person who, uh, Synecdoche, New York is probably my favorite movie of all time. And I and it is mine now. After having you on the show to explain it to me, it's, it's it is now my favorite film. So that's why I'm, ex- I'm like Brooks has to film. And it's, yeah, a lot of his movies are. I've loved everything. I've seen him multiple times, and I I like Anomalisa. However, <laughs> however, uh, the story of how it came to be a movie, I think, is really necessary to tell the. The reasons why I think it should never have probably been made a movie, although I appreciate what they were doing. And that's a really awful thing because I love I do like this film and I recommend it to people because I think it's an interesting take on a specific social phenomenon and way people interact. But I do not think this is necessarily a good film. Oh, wow. Okay, so I'm going to be the lone defender. I really liked it. Take Brooks. Complex take. Um, please. I think that's as good a place to start as any. So Brooks, what like compare and contrast this with something like Synecdoche or an adaptation and uh, tell us a little bit about that behind the scenes story you're packing. Well, so the, the short version of how do I would compare and contrast with something like Synecdoche, which uh, is probably really unfair to this movie is every time I watch Synecdoche, I get something more because I notice another detail and Kaufman very much spent the time to take every moment in that film and make sure every element that was seen as another thing that's pointing towards the thing he's trying to say about how time is passing, about how futile life is, but also how we're like just so many beautiful messages here and here and here. And Anomalisa has almost none of that. Uh, there is nothing. If, once you've seen the film once, you don't really have to watch it a second time. It is not complex. It doesn't have the layered storytelling and a lot of that stems from the fact that it was written first as a, if you don't know the story, uh, Kaufman took part in a thing in Los Angeles called a Theater of New Ears. The idea was, how do we do a, 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 a play story, uh, t- tell a story through a play in which there's really no visuals and it's mostly just um, spoken. Uh, friends, favorites of your two, actually, the Cohen brothers uh, were part of this. Um, I'm listening. And mm-hmm. when, when they did this, uh, the Anomalisa was told, and it's a, it's a brilliant way to do this because it was confusing for people who saw it. Uh, people who came out talked about how, uh, and this is, we're now immediately diving into spoilers. You have uh, the main character you, who uh, sees and hears everyone as being the same, and he looks at everyone as being the same. And he's essentially bored with people and an extreme misanthropist. And at the same time, he finally meets one girl. And so the the entire stage play is done with actually the same voice actors as the film. Uh, And you have three voice actors that do the whole movie. And it's pretty incredible. then it was yeah, Tom. If I may, yes. uh, Tom, Tom Noonan, Noonan right yeah. plays most of the world, most of the people everyone, in the universe. Everyone yeah. but Jennifer Jason Lee. Tom yes. Noonan, who also in Synecdoche, New York, is older Philip Seymour Hoffman. Great character, He's actor. A fantastic actor. Yeah, and and his and the voice acting throughout this is, I mean, literally top notch. Uh, his characters, specifically him, but I'd say all of them, uh, there is so much heart in the things that are said, despite it being flat. I like there's so much talent that went into this movie. It's why I really feel bad saying I actually this is not a I don't really like this film. I like it, but it's I'm very conflicted. So when when that when that play took place, it disappeared. That was like a decade ago, I want to say. And then uh, a couple guys uh, from 
the stop motion world said, hey, we want to do that as a movie. And he didn't really want to. They did some changes to the script. He said, if you can, we'll do it. And they found a way to get it funded. And they worked on it over two years as a stop motion film. And I think it uses stop motion effectively. But uh, the biggest problem I have with it is that it it is not meant for this medium. And Charlie Kaufman, if there is one skill I would say he has above all, it is the understanding of the medium he's writing for. And that's true of his, his new book. That's true of all the films he's made. And if he's writing a stage play, it's meant to be a fucking stage play. And it, as you watch it, it becomes obvious that it's, this wasn't really uh, the same detail as a normal Kaufman film. And that's one of my big problems with it. Well, especially hmm. if, yeah, if you're saying the stage play is focused solely on the voice... Yes, and if you adapt it to f- that. if you adapt it to film, what you should be doing is writing a whole second shadow screenplay, like Enter Shadow style, where you're building in all the visual storytelling. And I will agree with you. I assumed it was an intentional choice. It's a much simpler film, and it doesn't have that visual storytelling. It just basically what you're looking at just establishes where you are and what they're doing. They're at a restaurant eating dinner. Okay. But you, it's very play-like. You're just listening to hear. Uh, there are a couple standout moments. For example, there's the couple times that his animatronic face actually falls apart, which I did find super effective because that would only have that sort of meaning in this medium. You know, even if it were live action and you had incredible CG of someone's bottom half of their face falling off, it wouldn't be the same reference, like meta reference that it is in stop motion when you're like, yeah, he And the whole thing being 3D printed is used incredibly effectively because basically everyone becomes the same face. It's it's a great use of that. So again, as much as I just sounded like I was shitting on this, this is, Mm -hmm. this is, I still think it's a more interesting film than a lot of stuff out there. Than most films. I'm really glad it was made. (laughs) Yeah. I I am, I'm looking at it as this is, I'm, I'm here to talk about a Kaufman movie that he sort of didn't really write as a movie and he sort of also didn't really direct. And so it's kind of not a Kaufman movie. And so it's kind of sure. this, this, this different take. And I, I still really love the message. Again, I really love the message. I love a lot of the efforts made in it. This is just not going to be the time where Abe is going to, well, this was slow. And I'm going to be like, yes, it was. Yeah. Well, let me say this. I usually have a very good sense for what was originally a play, even if I wasn't aware of it. Like watching the movie, I usually go, oh, this is based on a play. You can tell because it doesn't utilize the medium of film. And uh, like Fences comes to mind. I I rag on Fences a lot on this podcast, I realize. (laughs) I don't know why that neuron is uh, just so entrenched. But uh, I think it's the most recent example of a movie where everyone killed it. Like all the acting is phenomenal. But there was no reason to make it because you're basically just filming the play, which is fine. I don't even think it's fine. I don't think you should do it. I think people should go see plays and films. Right. And if right. you're gonna make a film, make a film. So I do think there was there were some there were attempts made that are laudable, like you said. The fact that as far as I'm aware, it's the first stop motion thing to use 3D printing so extensively in that way, where everyone's face is obviously just a 3D printed mask in any stage. You know, they're just mm-hmm. swapping the full face out every time. That's really cool to me. And it also, it is not just a meaningless technology advancement. It does what you should do in film, right? It uses the medium. There's a reason it's stop motion, because it's a story about every about a guy who's so jaded that life seems like everyone's a mannequin it almost would have made sense as a roger rabbit thing where he actually was 
David Thewlis and everyone else was stop motion, but I think that would have felt weird. Yeah. Um, no, and you're, of course you're completely it's not spot on. And I, and I want to mm. say also, I think stop motion, I generally really dislike stop motion because it takes to me, it's a medium that <gasps> almost by nature, uh, I know it's sacrilege. I'm sure. Wallace and Gromit. No. Well, I, do I you think, admire the craft, the difficulty of it? Like it's, I think it's cool to look kid, at. Kid stuff <laughs> is great, but I think a lot of stop motion uh, is, is cool almost because it's show offy rather than being used as an effective tool of the trade. And I think it, I would put it in the same realm as like using CG inside of movies doesn't necessarily make something good, but like stop motion is sure. not a thing unto itself. So like uh, moral oral, which is actually the, the director of this and the team that made this movie, they did the moral oral series and it's wonderfully done because that's old school Davy. Like it's, it's making fun of that sort of 1950s right. stop motion aesthetic. It can be used effectively. I actually thought it was really beautiful uh, throughout this and they got a lot of really extraordinary expressions in a lot of the characters. Like it's, it's Starburns is, is extraordinary kind of in everything they touch, but it's, it's like in the craft of it, it was really well done. I thought. I do think Starburns is an incredible shop when it comes to stop motion. I did you like Moral Oral? I wasn't a fan, and it was like right up my alley. And I'll never forget a year I went to Comic Con and saw the Adult Swim panel, and Dino Stamopoulos was out of his mind on some drug or intoxicant, <laughs> and all he would do was interrupt constantly to say, "No one is asking me questions about Moral Oral. I understand. You all hate it. You all hate <laughs> me. My show is the least popular show on Adult Swim. I get it." And like got really choked up about it. I'm just saying. I don't know what I'm saying. I worry about that guy. I, I really um, liked, Moral but I Oral. think he's. I, I will say. I think I, he's. I'll, a, I'll defend it. I think Starburns is better at craft than they are at making things I want to see. Um, Anomalies is probably the thing that made the biggest impact on me. I got to do a. I guessed it on a podcast that happens to record out of their studios, and they have all the Anomalies sets set up in glass cases, and I was that's cool. Pretty into that. Uh, Abe, you're not talking enough. Go ahead. Well, um, yeah, here's <laughs> why does Charlie Kaufman want me to hate his movies so much? Uh, I don't. Here's my question. I, I'd rather do it this way rather than me dunking on little segments, which I can. Sure. It's always fun. We'll I, get I, there. I get a kick out of it, but it's not going to really help the audience understand what like my confusion with the movie is. But they and like it. It's crackty because I'm glad you guys separating the like craft and the story. And I also didn't know about like it's, uh, you know, premiering as a play uh, and, you know, all of these aspects about it uh, make a lot of sense to me. I want to make it very clear. I don't have a problem with the technical, the craftsmanship, the studio, the limitations, all that stuff. That's making a movie that they set out to make that um, is a, like an extreme challenge of the number of types of movies you can set out to make that will literally hold your hand forced to the table. Uh, this is one of them. And they do an absolutely shining job. They kill it. Um, it's very, I think it, they nailed the tone in a way that I feel the way that I'm supposed to feel when I see like, for example, when his face starts distorting and they get mm -hmm. that, you know, jump cut effect that they do with the stop motion to kind of show his like lack of control of his own face. I thought that that was exactly like the right off puttedness it was supposed to be, for example. Mm -hmm. Uh, my problem is entirely in the play. 
Like, I just think this is a bad play that shouldn't have been made. <laughs> okay, before we get to that, which I do want to unpack, thoughts on stop motion as a medium in general? Because I know we love, we both love Paranorman around these parts. But Yeah, I, I think l- what Like has done... Uh, open my eyes i was never a moral oral guy i never i didn't care about animation in general until college um it with the exception of like some weird avant-garde like norman mclaren the cat with hands or whatever bracket shit that isn't really animation in the same way that we're talking about it (laughs) (laughs) that's a made-up name uh but like just the idea of stop motion i kind of like like it really brought me into it and i think it's it's so it breathes its own like atmosphere and i think this movie does that as well i think they're on the same level um so i i, I enjoy stop motion now for the point of students. order you don't know jan svankmeyer oh i don't i thought that was jan svankmeyer <laughs> is a uh like very <laughs> weird freaky old filmmaker who pioneered using real dead animals as the stop motion maquettes oh is that the guy okay. he did an alice in wonderland that's really freaky because i feel like, like the, i've seen that everything's made out of dead name. animal parts except <laughs> alice who's a human actress <laughs> i didn't know his name was literally a simpsons character Jan Svankmeyer. okay uh, so let's unpack um what what the actual story is and uh, what that simple we keep saying the meaning's pretty transparent but let's say what we think the meaning is and see if it really is (laughs) that transparent i I have two questions one is Mm -hmm. that exact question that michael just asked and if you can also put in your guys's answers or if everyone can kind of reflect like what is not sequence by sequence but in general what is the the feeling we're that Charlie Kaufman is trying to evoke out of the audience is a sub question. Okay. Uh, I, I'll take a crack at the first one because I, to me, Anomalisa is a great, if simple story. And I, I equate it to a, you ever read those kids books, uh, the missing piece and the big O by Shel Silverstein. Oh yeah. Those are like maybe the best kids books ever written. My son's almost three and I read it to him all the time. They're heartbreaking and challenging though i think like on the subtextual level and the the first one is about uh a uh guy who's a circle who like pac-man who's missing a sort of a pie-shaped piece and he's going on the journey of trying to find a piece that can fill him up when he finally does he learns actually it's his own imperfection is what enables him to be happy it lets him sing it lets him do other things and so he kind of learns to be on his own rather than be completed by someone else the second story is about the missing piece who meets a complete circle. And the missing piece is, just like the first guy, looking for someone he can join up and complete. And the big O goes, no, you can't be a part of me. You can roll alongside me. It takes a lot of practice and it'll take effort, but we you, we can roll together. And there's a beauty in sort of understanding uh, the idea of traveling through life with a partner rather than being connected in the hip in a sort of codependent relationship. This is kind of, to me, this would almost be the third, if Shell ever decided to write a third book, about uh, the missing, about the big O that makes all of the missing pieces fit perfectly into his missing place. And this is a story of a man who, uh, the main character, through abuse, through manipulation, through how to handle people, turns everyone into what he expects and wants everyone to be, 
yes. and doesn't realize or slowly realizes in the course of this film that he's actually made a living hell for himself by doing so. Mm -hmm. uh, he then meets Anomalisa, Lisa, and she's the only one who is not like what he expects. And there's a beauty to that. And so he attaches to her, but he immediately begins being abusive, actually, very, very quickly, turning her into this same shapeless thing that everyone else is in his life. And he has to live with that forever. And it's, that's to me yeah. the, the moral. Yeah, I, I, that's what I got. Yeah, me too. I got end of the graduate vibes very much. And mm. uh, it actually really, I think this is a sign of a good film. It made me reflect on my own life and loves and such. And uh, so it definitely resonated in that way. But it is as simple as the grass is always greener on the other side until you get to the other side. And then you realize you brought your problems and your frame of mind with you. Yeah. And that's what you should have been working on. Um, it, I... You ever have moments where you look back at work you've done and realize it told it was way more transparent and revealed much more about you than you knew because you weren't old enough to even self-reflect and be aware of what you were upset, what your own themes were, you know, so to speak. Um, mm -hmm. I the only comic I ever completed was in because I was an aspiring comic artist before I found this, whatever you call this thing I do now. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, in college, I was like hooking up with this girl who I think in retrospect, as soon as we got to, I did this, if you know what I mean, in a microcosm, I've had this experience where I was really into this girl. We started hooking up and then I somehow just lost that interest. And that is not the other person. That is me. You know, that's like a metamorphosis inside my frame of mind. The other person mm -hmm. didn't change. Uh, and I literally like, uh, there was a comic writing challenge or something. And, uh, she came over to my place wanting to like Netflix and chill. And I avoided being physical with her by saying, I really got to finish this comic. So it's the only time I did a whole 22 page comic because I was trying to avoid hooking up with this girl that I knew I was going to break up with. <laughs> and yeah. the comic I ended up drawing, which I was improvising at the time was about a little boy begging for a candy apple and then getting it, taking one bite, realizing he doesn't like candy apples and dropping it in the gutter. And I didn't realize till I saw Anomalisa that, that, was, yeah. that I was writing about what I was going on. That is great. <laughs> I mean, that's horrible. You, that I'm glad you've grown from that. And I'm so sorry. Oh, definitely. For all the parties oh, involved, and this is the one that woman is fantastic uh, to have that realization. It is. And I think a lot of people, a lot of dudes have that realization young if they're lucky and then never do it again. That's like the one woman in the world who, if she came up to me on the street, was like, fuck you, you're a dick to me. I'd be like, fair. Uh, yeah. And I so I to me, it's as simple as that. You get the candy and then your stomach hurts. But it's done in a very packed. It's done in a very impactful way. And the. The conceit of Tom Noonan being everyone in the world except uh, Jennifer Jason Lee and David Thewlis, it works for me. And it's very Kaufman-esque. It's almost like Kaufman reached into his prodigious bag of tricks and just gave us a couple little scraps. But he well, didn't throw every Kaufman tool sorry, at the... I, I, because I agree he tends that, to, But yeah, there, there's, a, there's, a few, there's a few things in it that I, I on that note, 
again, when we talk about Kaufman movies, and at some point we're going to have to talk about his latest, um, I'm thinking of ending things, which goddamn I loved. Um, really, really loved in a lot of ways. Abe's going to fucking hate it, which is great. If you have- well, I started watching it, actually. Um, I was hoping... Oh, you didn't finish it? <laughs> oh, then we shouldn't. I was going to say this could be kind of a stealth double feature because I no. thought we'd all seen it, but no. No, I turned it off. In the- <laughs> I, I loved it, but... The, the thing about that and the thing about other other movies is he they have a lot of things where you go, oh, well, what if this is pointing at that? Uh, Synecdoche, uh, he has the moment where he references a book by Kafka that's very much about a city within a city and an infinite city. All this stuff. Mm-hmm. That's, it's awesome. This, they have a lot of things that uh, I know when this came out, a lot of people, and I mean still to this day, people do analysis of this that I – I, I I don't like because it's there's a lot of what I would almost call red herring symbology where they don't actually have any layered meaning. An example would be his face comes off. Why? Like, what is the point of that? That he's yeah. That's like, one of my big questions. <laughs> like, what is what is? And genuinely, I've I've watched the film five or six times. Uh, I watched it twice preparing for this. So like another you know, like I've watched it a lot. There are things in this movie where I'm like. Well, that was cool, but why? Why is that in there? And this is the film is has a lot of those. And Kaufman almost never fails that test ever. And That's his whole usually, deal. and it's the kind of thing where uh, normally, for example, Michael, I go, "Hey, well, what about the face?" And you go, "Oh, you missed X, Y, and Z," and it'd be like, "Oh shit!" But here, I don't, I didn't miss anything. I think they do cool things, uh, sort of in and of themselves, very similar to how I've used a lot of stop motion. That's cool because it's in there, but it doesn't really point at anything deeper. And uh, I don't know how we want to go about this because I, I feel like I just want to complain a lot about there's parts of this movie where I'm just like, what the fuck was that? And other parts that are great. Let's can I let bring me it on? I'll, yeah, I would like to complain. Throw about some out. Stuff. Let's, let's, and I want to see if... the good parts. Let's finish the good parts. Um, yeah, I, I thought there there was a lot of um, like the way I got it. Uh, and I think you guys have said it in different ways is if you guys have read the oh you'll the places you'll go you'll go i believe Mm -hmm. uh dr seuss there's this section about going to the waiting place right Mm -hmm. and it's Mm -hmm. uh, it's a short section but it's very important because it says like oh the places you go look at there and there's a street and there's a street and look left look right and it's all that like oh this is great and you're gonna be in a parade and oh the places you'll go and he's like but then sometimes you're gonna go to a place where you're waiting and all you do is just think about not going anywhere and um there's a moment where it's like because it's children's book it's trying Mm -hmm. to elucidate to a child that sometimes you're not going to feel like you're a part of the parade and And you just have to endure that period that's period yeah (laughs) and then you're gonna find the parade again and uh, there's a moment where you can tell because it's a children's book. He, if he had any like if Dr. Seuss wanted to, he would say he would like break format and go like and then these are like the healthiest ways to break out of that. But he doesn't. What he does is he just says you'll break out. It'll happen. Um, and that's the equivalent. And this is like an adult story. Hmm that has the opportunity and I would say kind of the obligation if you're trying to tell like moral tales like this um, 
what what do you mean what do you what does all this depression mean i did like, find it sad that i don't agree that you necessarily have to answer the you inscrutable don't have to answer. but i agree that it's very bleak that the ending it's a it's a horror story right i mean it's you uh in terms of the dan Harmon story circle or what have you you mm. went and got and came back and didn't change. Yeah. The circle broke. That you failed. The story failed. You like, fucked it up. You turned the, you turned the adventure land that you got to visit into the mundum. Well, so which like, is sad. This is as actually hell. I'm going I'm going to because I wholly agree with Abe here and I'm going to try to make a point a little tweak. There is a point in this film where they absolutely could have made the main character uh have a fork in the road or at least show that he's acknowledging or or making the choice to become semi-abusive to mold her to change her and at no point do they do it it feels like there's an inevitability to the entire thing which again is utterly irredeemable the entire yeah and and that makes and there are characters where that can be the case but in this one you have uh, to me a, a really extraordinary opportunity to show that he's making the decision to do this whereas it just Instead, the point it makes is that we can't help but mold everyone into what we want them to be. And eventually we make our own pleasant hell. Because rather Mm -hmm. than appreciating people for, as he says, I mean, that's another moment I do think works. His final speech, which speaking of Coen Brothers, reminded me very much of the Clooney speech in uh, Intolerable Cruelty. But he had written um, almost this rote speech explaining that customer service is about the the opposite of solipsism. It's realizing that every customer you're engaging with has had a day, has had a life, has dreams and wishes, and there's something unique about them. <laughs> and if you hone in on that and you actively listen with to the, what makes them an individual, it's miraculous. And people become amazing to you. And everyone is a treasure trove of stories and emotional resonance, blah, blah, blah. It's and, basic ass motivation, but it's also talking about what his problem is. Well, it's crazy that... And I think true and resonant and an impactful message, he can elucidate exactly what he should be doing, but he doesn't mm. do it. Right. Yeah. Or, no, that's, or he's, I like or he's that. elucidating what he is doing, because one of the things that happens throughout this, it, him being, and uh, again, the original play, he was actually a self-help guru, not a customer service guy, which I think mm-hmm. is an is interesting switch. But the idea of him being a customer service guy, and we literally see him deal with people as a customer. And what he has taught people and what's in his book, and they they get on it very quickly. Lisa and her friend mention it, uh, but it's about uh, basically being able to talk to everyone in a way that's very balanced and simple and basic. Uh, and so when you're when you're dealing with people in customer service, uh, I used to work in call centers once upon a time. I was a waiter. There are a handful of very simple interactions such as, hey, you know what's great is the zoo. Uh, they have a panda because everyone fucking loves pandas. Hey, how about right. that weather? Like they have the same four conversations throughout the entire movie. Uh, the man on the plane is the first one we see where uh, there's he's flying into the beginning of the movie. He literally there, touches his hand. He yeah. touches his hand and we see him visibly recoil and be upset about it. And the guy's like trying to explain like, hey, I'm scared. He's like, I don't care. Like, it's just this weird interaction. But when right. when immediately next we see 
the cabbie, and then there's the bus mm-hmm. boy, and then there's the guy at the front of the counter, and then everyone there's the phone call for the room service, and everything is just very generic pablum conversations. It's Be- all well the because same. he's a hypocrite through and through. That's what's amazing about. I I think that's really strong choice because it shows that he despises the exact type of talk that he's promulgating right like he says treat everyone this way but when the cabbie talks to him he rolls his eyes like i hate small talk bullshit and it's like that's your whole career is encouraging this system of pleasantries that's uh yeah but i will continue this is the problem yeah go ahead this This is is i just want to put i'm like that works that's a good movie i just want (laughs) to like put a marker on this this is exactly what you're this is my problem with the film this the the beginning the the first hour <laughs> it is a long fucking first hour it can too. be three minutes man the, oh the, and you think that same mechanism could be in play easily i fucking get it seven like minute his hypocrisy ta- it takes yeah. seven minutes for the taxi cab ride seven and, and, minutes and, 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 and what do you learn then nothing you and don't nothing, learn anything you learn but one thing about isn't, one person Okay, I consider this a legitimate goal of art is to put you in the mindset of the character you're writing with, right? So if he sure, is yeah. bored, the scene has to go long enough a that you get boring. bored. Yeah, I that's think. true. Uh, so then what What do you do next? You do it again? You do that boring thing again? It goes It goes far. Okay, I'll give yeah, you okay. that. And I, I, was, like, I was waiting for things to happen. Like, I was let me ho- guess, waiting, he's going to yeah. go for the, when he goes to the ice machine to pick up some ice, oh, it's God. not going to have ice or someone's going to call back because Michael hung up on them. It was just a series of like, yes, stab me in that direction. Like slam me over the head with a sledgehammer. What, what I what need is, to know, Charlie. So again, Charlie Kaufman inside of Synecdoche. Abe, you could bitch about any single frame in that movie, and I will give you a thousand reasons why it's necessary to the overall story and there's symbols behind mm. it. Let's take mm. the ice machine. That entire scene is 45 seconds to a minute, maybe two straight minutes of him walking from his room, down the hall, past a couple who's fighting, gets mm. ice, they're still fighting, and he goes back in his room. Why? Yeah. To sh- I mean, I feel like I've been put in the defensive position, but uh, I would argue, I guess, if I had to, that it's uh, yet again, I mean, it's hammering home that Tom Noonan is everyone. I do think it takes time for you to, for that to sink in. And so they try to Rolodex a lot of different types that he is. And uh, it's to make his misanthropy seem, uh, you know, sort of... uh, sympathetic i think or you understand yeah people are unpleasant to be around sometimes we've already seen cabbie who's boring but pleasant we haven't seen unpleasant bickering in public and that's a legitimate thing that does fill the space you're in with an air of discomfort and tension and like leads people to not want to engage not want to know strangers yes let's go with that because there's a, a, a issue I have, uh, really simple. Mm-hmm. If it's discomfort, then why do they sound and look like everyone else? And why is he not seemingly affected by it at all and he doesn't seem uncomfortable? He doesn't really care. Because <laughs> he's an asshole. 
Yeah, and we've already established that he's an asshole thoroughly. You, I mean, I agree with you guys. I think we're all on the same page that it could have been significantly shorter. I feel like Brooks has got a ringer or something. I will stump for the bit where he can't figure out how to order food because all the buttons have different food icons on them. I liked that I, a lot. I, I, I liked, so there are parts that I liked uh, that I thought in and of themselves I thought were good. Another example would be a thing uh, that I think a lot of people attached to post the film is the Japanese sex doll, which mm-hmm. I'd love anyone it to explain comes that on to his me. kid at the end. Yeah. <laughs> people say that actually Lisa never existed, that he fucked the doll because the doll has the same kind of broken right side of her face that Lisa has the scarring. Oh, see, I wondered if, um, because and Jennifer Jason just, Lisa, by the way, Jennifer Jason Lee, that's all. That's all I'm going to say. She's mm. the best. But um, I was wondering if her scarring was supposed to be abstract, like he doesn't see the scarring because he loves her, because I didn't ever notice a scar. Or is the idea that the scar is so little that she okay so it's the kind of thing that she thinks is more noticeable than it is right yeah. like she has yeah. low self-esteem about it but it's not really i mean it's, it's exactly. super noticeable it's the entire fucking right side of her head is what is scarred up like she had acid thrown on her i it's not the right side of her head it's just above the eye and kind of at the temple is what i noticed i'm gonna find I, a photo while, while you guys talk Please, because I feel like I had my brightness or contrast settings fucked up then because I was looking because of the way she covers with the hair. I knew that side of the face, you know, I was like, oh, okay, that side of the face has something on it. I was looking for it the whole movie and I thought she looked fine. Like I thought I thought they were doing a thing where he doesn't see it because he's in love with her. Right. You know, I mean, that's enough for me because like be clear, then be eloquent. You know, like if you're not clear, you're not telling stories even if you're la- even if what you want to talk about is lack of clarity um right agree you got to give people a scaffolding to stand upon okay Otherwise, Brooks just sent an image though. i see it i see it now more in this frame yeah i think my tv could have been better set if you know what i mean yeah mine's calibrated i saw that uh, this is actually a treated image brightened in order to exaggerate that i do but think it's just her it's like her temple it's well let's like also point out the sexual relationship I think that's also points to his hypocrisy and his delusion is to, from his point of view, it plays out like a romance story, but the reality is he's abusing his privileged position mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. a celebrity in her eyes to have sex with a young, a fan who's much younger than him. And um, she's well, like he's not a, really well, into it. I mean, she yeah. is, but she's also like, uh, oh, the, the power too. dynamic is genuinely gross. Yeah, it's genuinely gross. gross, and he's away from his family cheating on a work trip. Like, it's not really the rom-com that he thinks it is at, at any level, and it never was. Yeah. Uh, which I do, it's funny. It's like, oh, I came up with this cute name for you, Anomalisa. Now my life will work out. I love that he took that shot, and I love that that shot has to end in darkness and despair because fuck this guy ultimately um and you know i count myself lucky that i learned this kind of lesson early in my life and was able to steer away from being this guy but i think it's a valid thing to make a movie about as far as the japanese sex doll i thought it was i do not buy i get i like conspiracy theories but i don't buy that one i thought it was just that 
to conflate and blur the line between that thing almost looks like the animatronic people, but we understand it to be a dead, lifeless robot. Why did he buy his son a a sex doll at a sex shop? Like it's, it's a whole scene. It makes absolutely no sense to me. Because yeah. he went to the, because he went to a toy store that was recommended to him, and he didn't realize it was sex toys, and he's such a bad father that he's not willing to go to a second store. Yeah, I think that makes sense. No, no. I think that's fair. And he bought it because he was struck by it, but he also just didn't like. I don't think he doesn't give a shit about his son. Uh, frankly. Yeah, like he didn't want to talk to his kid. Uh, and then when his kid talked to him, he was very. He's not into it. He's, he's uh, abusive and molding everyone around him into what he wants them to be. His kid was not into talking to him. He's and turned his kid, his kid into a customer. His kid what is did you buy like, for me? gimme, gimme, gimme. And it's like, oh, I wonder where, you know, like, there. He. it's clear that he, the way he interacts with his kid is, yeah, like you said, a customer. I think that's a good way of putting it. He probably just gives toys and gives no love because he also sees his child, again, as Tom Noonan. Which is, frankly really fucking dark to me Mm -hmm. Uh, you don't see a lot of movies about a parent legitimately just is not into their child thinks their child's an annoying piece of shit it's rare we don't like to uh not uphold that myth that everyone's child is a precious treasure i think we have that mythos we just we dress it up with other things like you know like military fathers as a trope or something like that or like you know it's the equivalent of the wrong kid died we like overemphasize it or in kings of king we've talked about stephen king actually does it fairly frequently where the dad is like the wrong one died yeah don't go in your brother's room yeah this is like a subtle like oh it's not that i there's evil in me and then i need to beat you with it don't say that's the story we don't get is yeah he's he does not gonna hit him he's not gonna disown him he He just just doesn't doesn't like him yeah that's fine (laughs) that's really sad yeah it's really really dark um but but yeah you were saying we we thought he doesn't care about people in general he he meets his ex-girlfriend uh in the hotel lobby and basically says, do you want to go have sex? Like, it's one of the, it's again, a very awkward scene. And she had basically said, hey, I, you know, the way you left me, the way that this ended, I, it ruined my life. What is going on with you? And he doesn't give a shit. He could care less. Yeah. He just really wants to strange. skip to the end. I feel like that's foreshadowing of what's destined to happen to his marriage. Is that, am I picking up on nothing there? I mean, I, I think that this guy is alone unless he changes and starts at, like begging forgiveness for the, or finding right. new people, finding a new life. He is never, he's irredeemable. He cannot come back from this. The, the, if they, the equivalent of the evil inside of him is that like, it, it can't help but come out. He hates the world. And that to me is problematic in a way. Not it's problematic, not in the sense that it's like, that offensive. we typically use that term <laughs> yeah. offensive, but it's problematic in that it doesn't support the structure of the story enough for me to even call this a story, which is fine. Movies don't have to always be stories. They just, when they look like them, I tend to expect them to. Yeah, there's there's literally no arc of any character whatsoever. No one really changes. It, it I always associate things like that with poetry because poetry yeah. classically is a moment frozen in time or a very limited totally. motion or a song. Yeah. And, uh, and the, 
the value of art like that is in diving deeply into that moment and becoming awash with the feelings that are related I, to it. And I think that I mean, happens here. I, uh, even though there's not an arc, I guess I'm just saying I still found the experience worthwhile. Like going on a roller coaster I, doesn't have an arc. I'm not going to say it's not worthwhile. Even though it literally has an arc, but I mean, it doesn't have a figurative arc. But going on a roller coaster is just a poem, right? It's a moment in time that gives you a feeling. I, I won't say it doesn't. It doesn't have a poetry to it. It does. I think after watching, and I'm going to do no spoilers here, but after watching, uh, I'm thinking of ending things, which mm. is, if I want to say, very simply, a very sad movie with no character arc, um, that does this tale so fucking much better in every single way. It's hard for me to say that Anomalisa is in comparison with watching. There's a lot of parts of it that are good, but it, it's just not as refined or interesting a film as I constantly want it to be. And there's so much good craft in it that I feel terrible saying that. It has so many good, interesting moments, and I get a lot of the points, and I love the overall message about, uh, like I said, the big O and the missing piece, going alongside people, not forcing everyone in their life to you know, be you, allow them to be other people, allow everyone to be the star of their own play i suppose would be another coffin movie but this doesn't i i'm with abe it 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 falls flat in a few ways for me that it's i'm very conflicted talking about it and also you guys keep using like i understand the difference between like a tone poem and a story or like i think what we're elucidating or michael was elucidating i've talked to him about this ad nauseum so i know what he's talking about uh and the problem with this one is also the like actual tactile feeling of this movie. I'm not going to tell anyone to enjoy movies any which way, but I will say that like it is a constant cringe to me. It's like watching insecurity for 90 minutes and I don't like that. And I mm -hmm. don't know, like I can't think of another film that I was like, I do like that, you know, something like Magnolia, uh, you know, that, a lot of people will t have talked about how those uh, that some of those vignettes have a lot of cringe in them because it's just like, oh, I can't fucking look. You know, it's that feeling because it's so hard to watch because it's so like, oh, he's just fucking it up. Oh, this guy's so horrible. What about what's your does <clears throat> that, that carry like over to story. cringe? Does that carry over to cringe comedy? Like your meet the parents or your British yeah, offices? I mean, kind of. I was going to kind of do a parallel to the like the continual the continuing echolette of him just hitting time and time again this one aspect of like the t tax the 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 plane ride the taxi cab getting into the hotel all that stuff felt very much like i was watching a compilation of like snl videos where it's like like 90s i mean it's still kind of true now but like the when i was watching snl which was like the 90s i guess uh like molly shannon like smelling her armpits every time she's doing superstar you know it's mm -hmm. like no you did that joke oh i get it you just every time we do the sketch which is literally like every week it's obligatory it's that an you obligatory do that you do that joke do that joke do that joke and people all laugh because they're told to um it's kind of like has that weird design to me where it's like i don't need you to scream nine times uh you know sometimes it's funny you know like sure. sometimes peter griffin stubbing his toe it's the timing that worked on me but other times it's just like all right 
all right, can you just not do the same fucking thing one more time? And yet I'll just, I feel like, so in college I did a play called The Waiting Place that featured so speaking a hammer in the audience over the head with it, that was mm. essentially the same theme. And it featured the Colin Hay song waiting for my real life to begin, which is also about exactly what we're talking about. Uh, you're you never get your life started because, well, your life is going by you because you're just assuming it's not here yet. It's not good enough yet. One day I'll do that thing. And then my life will start. And it's like, dude, you're, it's happening now. Um, it, I just find tremendous value in, so we're, we're, I just want to, okay, I'm sorry, tripping over my words, but what I want to do is reaffirm that the bar is still a Charlie Kaufman bar, if you know what I mean, because leveling, leveling things like boring or no arc is a pretty hefty accusation, and I just want to be the voice saying, I came away with this movie with thoughts like, uh, oh, I see. Everywhere you go is the same because you're bringing with you your view of what everyone is. So it's the same because you go there and you infect it with your sameness. That's why changing locations is not the end of an arc and he finds himself trapped where he began. I... There's a lot of movies I can name where I come away with less interesting Much thoughts less than, than that. that. Yeah, that we've um, covered. I, I, in, I will you know, not even Coen Brother movies. I will not say that this is not a movie worth seeing. I I have a lot of conflicted moments because it's. I think for me the part I find so frustrating is throughout it. There are moments where it's pointing at something being cooler than it is. Uh, I, the last moments of the movie where Lisa is writing a note and she says, I looked my name up in my Japanese to English dictionary. Anomalisa means goddess of the blah, blah. No, it fucking goddess doesn't. Goddess of heaven or something. It fucking does not. No, it does not. Anomalisa is not a word in nice. fucking Japanese. I have no idea. Do, 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 you, do you think it sounds like Amaterasu, which is kind of close to goddess, sky goddess? Like, like. So, Must be. I mean. But like. A, that to me is just this moment. Yeah. That is to me representative of the whole movie. It's I, it's a cute idea because it's referencing the Japanese thingy bot and that she's finding her own power and whatever it is through this name. Like she took something positive away from what he gave her. I get that mm-hmm. because but, that's who she is. She's not like him. But yeah. at no point did that happen. Why does she have a Japanese to English dictionary? How did she look up anomalisa, which is a word that doesn't exist in Japanese? And how does it mean a thing it doesn't mean? So it's this weird, like, so what, to, to go back to kind of the same thing, what's the meaning of that? What's the meaning of his face falling off? What, like all of these things that are like moments I want to feel are smarter than they are. And I've not been able to find a place. Find it. Yeah. I think that that's, I mean, I can't, I couldn't. So yeah. Uh, the, the, the last but, line with anomaly said, like I went, that was like, for me, this like crack where I'm like, and since then I've just been picking at it and. There's so many moments in the film where it's just like, nah, no, no, no. Remind me of the last line. It's that's the one from Lisa where she's all like, oh, and then she's she's driving. Oh, is is her saying it means goddess of the heavens or whatever? And then we just see a shot of him alone with the doll. Yeah, and the doll Um, is singing a song about. uh, I looked this up. It's about eating dumplings, and I it's completely unrelated to anything. So it's it's things like um, that where I'm like. A Kaufman movie, I would be looking that up and it would be pointing to another puzzle. Like it's a puzzle that's his world. 
Well, and as big of a, even though I thought it was cool and it did get me in the headspace of, gosh, this guy's so depressed. He feels like he's not himself or whatever. I agree with you that like the face falling off, I have has lost its luster the more we've talked about it because the cool factor was enough for me. But you're right that it would have been 10 times cooler if it meant something like, oh, face off, face off. And yes, that's a reference, but yeah. you know what I mean? Like it yeah. means something because your face is what you put on for the customer, but or he's taking it like off because he's yeah. being his real self. But he wasn't being his real self. That math doesn't track. And in fact, no math tracks. It was just a cool thing to do. Yep. Um, but I would argue that just in the way that Pixar movies exist. And, you know, going all the way back to Aristotle's poetics, like spectacle is one of the basic building blocks of story for a reason. Spectacle is real and exists and is thrilling. And um, by spectacle, I mean the more, you know, arcane dictionary definition of just like anything that you show that you're just appreciating as an animal because it's cool and it's cool to look at. Uh, this would, you know, abstract paintings could, if the artist says it has no meaning, I just thought it was cool yes. to look at, would fall under this umbrella. But <clears throat> so does Triple X riding a jet ski through a fireball. That is does not have any movie math or deeper subtext. It's just kick it's ass. Just kick ass. And I and it's just blank. It just builds mood. And uh, so I'll just argue that as a fan, as an intense fan of stop motion animation. There is an aspect of stop motion animation, I agree with you, Brooks, completely, that is about showing off what you can do with stop motion animation, but I don't hear anyone shitting on Finding Nemo because it looked so good, you know what I mean? I think it's fine to explore the physical limitations of what you're doing. You know, when I saw Gravity, I'm not going to say, yeah, but it really, all it had going for it is it really felt like I was in space whipping around. That's pretty good. That's a good That's thing to get me to feel. Got. Yeah, it's yeah. like uh, yeah, um it's like what looking at a Rothko or something like but that. But if if it was Gravity written and directed by Charlie Kaufman, I'd be really upset at the end of it. If if yeah, it, I mean so because we're talking about And the, if it could accomplish both, it would be 100% even better. You're right. The reason yeah. I saw this is because it had Kaufman's name on it. Like, uh, let's not pretend there was another reason for it. Like, I, mm -hmm. I, the Kaufman came out, oh, this film hit, and I was like, fucking, I'm going to see that thing. Just like I see everything he puts out. Plus, there's a lot of other filmmakers that that's the case of. And so there's a there's an assumption, I think, that comes with that for me. And this this film had a lot of the simulacra of what makes a, common, a Kaufman movie, but it didn't actually have the substance that I was hoping for. Still better in terms of the story and a, a slice of life kind of thing than the vast majority of films out there. Again, I'm we're, we're talking about grading on a curve here. I'm not saying that this is a five out of 10 and Avatar mm. is like a nine. Like these are, there's a curve to this. There's, yeah, there's no numbers. <laughs> yeah, no, this is, there's a curve to this where it's like, this just to me, it it's not his other films. It just it's it doesn't stack up. Brooks, do you like Don Hertzfeld? I do like Don Hertzfeld. I thought you might. That's all. I think uh, I think he develops in a Kaufman, has developed in a Kaufman esque way in his own way. Uh, yeah, I'll agree with you. When I hear Kaufman, I'm expecting a certain kind of experience. But if you stripped this movie of all titles and showed it to me, I would have come away thinking, 
wow, Dino Stamopoulos really stepped his game up. This is a very good movie to come out of Starburns Industries. I'm surprised. I, I, um, yeah, I, I was surprised by the title. I would agree with that too. Or the production title. Um, it's hard to love the dialogue in this movie. Well, because it's intentionally unpleasant or, you know, repellent in some cases. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. repellent in some cases, but it's even, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, it's just, just some that it's hard to watch like, calling his girlfriend a bitch in public. And yeah, it's like exactly when you're in a public like, space like and you're hearing shit story. you don't want to hear. Yeah. I don't mean unpleasant in the the way that like marriage story was unpleasant because it's situations where people are having a divorce. But uh, it's like uh, Let's, like there's a line. It's all wonder, water under the fucking bridge under the fucking bridge. And I'm just like trying to understand who talks like that. And I'm also trying to understand, going back to the poem aspect, uh, does Charlie Kaufman think that a lot, a lot of people are like this? And, or am I wrong about this and a lot of people are like this? Um, I know that people are lonely. Everyone is universally lonely. No one's always chipper. And I everyone am... thinks about like the existential aspect of loneliness. Mm-hmm. But being a, and cre- creating a... like. I think what did you say, Brooks? You called it like a your own little personal hell or something yeah, like that. Pleasant hell. Yeah, pleasant hell. Pleasant hell. Um, yeah, I think that that's good, and I got that from yeah, like those are good words to tell me about it. But like, in terms of story, and like when we find out what this tone poem is trying to say, which is all you get from a story perspective from mm-hmm. like something like this, is like. His thesis seems to be that like he's making a pleasant hell of himself because he refuses to change. But, he refuses uh, well, I, to I, make I read it differently. I, I read it that he he forces those around him to react in ways that are extremely predictable because of sure. his abusive nature. And another the, way of saying it. The, yeah. yeah the, well, it's it's a it's a bit of a nuance because well he he may or may not change. For him, it's about the pool balls around him being extremely predictable. That's where he finds his comfort. And uh, people being the pool balls. And so when he knows what to expect from them, he doesn't find anything exciting because that's fucking Mm -hmm. boring. Life is boring. Life is monotonous. Life is shit. And we'll be frank. If you go out and you talk to people and you have simple, basic conversations with everyone, generally everyone starts with the first few things. You should go to the zoo. The pandas are there. Whatever the fucking meme of right. the day is, is what people talk about. And so I small like, talk. I, I, I get small talk being shit. And he, all he has with people throughout it is small talk because he refuses to engage people. Uh, it's, it's the other thing is what makes Lisa stand out. They never. Well, before you go on to that, I yeah. just want to isolate that because like my question is, does Charlie, do you think Charlie Kaufman thinks this is like more of a universal problem? Uh, then like, or maybe I, I am the one who doesn't think this is a universal problem. I understand that small talk is hard for a lot of people. There are introverts. I'm not blind to that, but it just seems like, well, he's just being an asshole. There's an asshole just being an asshole. I agree with Brooks. So I think it's great revelation. I think it's a particularly virulent strain of asshole that is self-sabotaging that is fairly common and I may think it's more common than it is because I'm in AA and a lot of people in AA often talk about pulling a geographic which is this exact thing and we also talk about how um, it's the ism not the alcohol it's the way your mind works not the substance and Mm. it pulling a geographic is 
uh, you know, a lot of career alcoholics will at some point change their name and pull up stakes and move to a different state and start a different line of work or abandon their family and be like, now I won't be alcoholic or addicted to whatever I'm addicted to because all my cues are different. Soon enough, they Uh, find themselves in whatever trouble they were in before. And it rarely works that way. And I think it is because uh, you find ways of interacting with those around you that are comfortable and in so doing, if you happen to be prone to manipulation or good at controlling people's outcomes, or even just willing to be enough of a prick that people are like, oh, he's a prick to me when I bring this up, so I don't bring up stuff like that around him. Um, our conversations got whittled down to the things he's comfortable talking about. Uh, that's a very real phenomenon. I definitely see it out there. Uh, I've been guilty of it, of like not appreciating what is unique and special about someone and then finding myself wondering, why does life seem to have lost its luster? Why is everything so mundane and boring? And having to remind myself, and it's a constant struggle in life, and it has something to do, I think, with gratitude, uh, remind myself, no, man, actually everything's pretty goddamn spectacular and most people are pretty fucking interesting. You are just not taking the time to take an interest in what's interesting about them or forge through the small talk to get to that. But the fact that I'm alive means I have very exclusive tickets to the greatest show in the universe, which is just life. It's pretty it's pretty baller. Like there's quasars and stuff going on. It's pretty amazing. Also the simple thought that the world is not for you, Mm -hmm. you know, like that's something that I think he has a problem with and that's not even addressed in this movie. So like the worldview seems like Charlie Kaufman makes me want to, think I I would, this is him. Let's, let's look at this as a lens through Synecdoche, New York, because we've done that and we can do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, the synecdoche is about how everyone is ultimately the lead in their own play and every play is interconnected with every other play that people are going through and there's an incredible complexity to life because of that and the beauty in life is this and that's the sort of there's a million lessons but that's one of the lines is that fair i agree that that's one of at least several dozen points the movie makes yeah so i would say that and coffin's talked about that's much more of his general sense of life this through that is the opposite, where you are actually making everyone part of your play and you're carving out their personalities to make sure their interactions with you are exactly as you need them to be for your own safety and for your own expectations and to make you generally happy. The, the morning after he, he he has sex with Lisa and he's like, we're going to go off and do all these things, he, he doesn't want her to talk with her mouth full. He doesn't like how she t- clinks the, the fork against her teeth. All these little things that are really part and parcel of the way her story and her play is going. Not allowed. You can't do this. You can't do that. Are you going to live in uh, your city or are you going to move to to L.A. or Chicago with me? Uh, mm-hmm. Like it's and you know what answer he expects. Fuck yeah, I'm, I'm willing right. to go wherever you want because our power <laughs> dynamic is, is completely him. fucked. That's what he thinks. Yeah. And so it's there's a there's a difficulty that comes with this. Um, uh, and Michael, you some time ago you uh, you wrote me and you said, "Hey, hey Brooks, I finally looked up that thing you were hinting at that you'd gone through." Um, mm-hmm. uh, I was a student at Columbine and um, lost a bunch of friends. Wrote a book about it. Kind of became this semi media figure, and it's 
one of the things that happens when you deal with a lot of people and you kind of become the center of a lot of people's worlds, even though you're fucking not, when you're a person mm. who's written a book and going on a book tour, I'm just to speak specifically about that. Everyone is there for you. You get the same four questions, the same five kinds of people, because everything is very standardized and it's people mm. don't know what to say and they don't know how to be vulnerable with you and you don't know how to be vulnerable with them. So they, oh, so... So what was that like? And the answer is it's sad. That's it. <laughs> how many times, how many times right. people are like, hey, was it sad to go through that? Did, did, did you cry? And it's like, yeah, really, that's the question you're going to ask. So his world, and you see this when people interact with him, you see it when Lisa and her friend interact, he's getting the very same standard responses that don't surprise him. Lisa's slightly different, but everything in his life is these, the way that, people expect to deal with each other the way he expects them. And that is, that's a very difficult thing to deal with. Uh, you kind of have to throw away that entire section of your life and start over in order for that to happen, actually. Um, but I feel like that is consistency from Kaufman's point of view, right? Because between Synecdoche and uh, Anomalisa, Anomalies is almost the inverse of the cautionary tale version, which makes it consistent. In both cases, he's saying, like his karmic universe remains Kaufman-esque because you're saying, uh, if you don't do this, it will go badly. That's Anomalisa, whereas Synecdoche is saying, if you do this, you may appreciate the, com the rich complexity of life. Anomalies is almost just saying, and if you don't, in case you were wondering, the outcome is this. It, it, it's it does a feel like it's, it's, the, it's the cautionary tale is this one versus the his real sense of life is synecdoche. I, I hope, I hope. And least. maybe that's, I, I hope sorry, that too. I, and I think there's something naturally appealing about a positive statement versus a cautionary tale. It's always going to be more engaging by nature. I'm, I'm sorry. I, uh, maybe I'm just slower than you guys, but I, I'm, I'm not tracking what you're ta talking about synecdoche and such about like people playing roles and how that, how that plays into Anomalisa. Well, you remember it's a play within a play within a play within a yeah, play yeah. within no, a movie, I understand right? the I understand yeah, okay. that part, and I understand very much what Brooks was saying about the Columbine part. That all scans to me. Uh, I don't know how that plays in Anomalisa. I don't see how people are playing roles in that. The, the, I feel one person's playing the roles for everybody. I think he's forcing people to through how to he play talks act to them, around him. Through how he talks to them, he knows how to. And he and he his speech has parts of this, and it's the parts where he kind of it. I, I liked the speech section, and I think it it kind of painted most of my understanding of the rest of the film because where he falters when he starts talking about how to treat people and how to talk to people, maybe bring up something that everyone taught. Like he says these things, and it's literally how everyone's treating him. Uh, they use the thing. Let's go to the zoo. They have the billboard, even the zoo. Mm -hmm. And it's one of my favorite lines. Eh, you can, you could, you can go to the zoo. It's just zoo sized. Like it all, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's such a great little line because that's the guy. No one knows how to talk about it beyond just that sort of top line thing. We like the zoo. So you're, Pandas okay. are cool. So you're saying he actually succeeded in creating. I mean, I guess that's true because he's seen as a success. He succeeded in creating a world that is essentially just a bunch of his versions of people like, don't act like thinks. themselves around him they've been all reduced to a homogenous tom noonan homunculi and that isn't yeah. his unreliable narratorness that is his that is literal truth like everyone is just i think it's literal truth book. based on the fact that you see for example you see that his 
co-parenting style with his wife is literally just an endless repetitive cycle of her of her saying the same joke every time. Well, he certainly gets to the point. Yeah. That's his that's his contribution to parenting their son. Is the son right. asks for a toy, the mom says, "Well, he certainly gets to the point and he says uh, and he chuckles." Um and I think that you're getting a glimpse that the literal truth he's living is he is created a, a world around him where everyone who relates to him knows who he is, knows how right, he should be spoken the, to and speaks to him that well, way. And, and, isn't that uh, the Frigoli delusion, you know, the belief where that, it's called the Frigoli, but Frigoli. he calls it, and then he starts calling it Frigoli, and then other people around him revert to calling it Frigoli, which I oh, thought okay. was really cool. Yeah, that's he nice actually, touch, but he uh, actually, that's more. He actually yeah. used the name Frigoli uh, when he signed and uh, submitted the play, so it was uh, his pen name for the original. Right. The oh, original it, the play was by Frigoli. Actual, just so it's clear to other people. Uh, that's the actual name of the delusional belief that different people are in fact one person. Uh, they just change their appearance or they're in disguise, oh. which is not quite this. Yes. That word uh, means that? I did correct. not know that. That's yeah. interesting. I mean, it's not um, interesting. It's it like is, you just it said. It is an interesting delusion. It uh, connects one point to one thing, and that's as interesting as it gets. It's not as complex as your normal Kaufman exercise, but it's not nothing. No, it's still <laughs> it's not and nothing. I, and, I, and I will say I like the, the underlying lesson I would take away from it and the, where it hit me. Uh, like you, Michael, I look back in my personal life and I went, uh, so where have I been this guy? Where have I... Uh, manipulated or pushed yes. people or was semi-abusive or even not abusive, just kind of dickish to... Or didn't accept them for who they were and tried to make them to be mold the way them I expected. And the answer is yeah. fucking not done that, of course. Everyone's kind of done that at one point or another. I, I, I'm, maybe not. Maybe I'm a unique asshole. But, um, you know, I've had no, those man. moments. I've had those or, moments for sure. I've had yeah, re entire relationships where... Um, fuck my ex-wife. Let's talk about my ex-wife for a second. We were hyper codependent. It was not healthy. And we very much did this to each other. It's, it's about, uh, finding your own comfort in your life. And, and if you can find a place where you're comfortable or things are pleasant, you, you can find an amazing arsenal of tools to ensure that your mind allows you to stay there. And it's not good. It's not healthy, but that felt like what he was kind of pointing at that, you know, you, you have moments in your life um, that Slavoj Žižek talks about the emancipatory moment of falling in love and this powerful thing that can happen to you and how a lot of people run from it <laughs> the opposite direction because, mm -hmm. because it's terrifying to fall in love because it's uncontrolled. You don't know anything and you have no idea. It's, it's, a, it's a contingent event that happens inside of our lives. And this felt like a response to that of like, this is what happens. This is why... He had a moment. He he genuinely really was smitten with her. But uh, as that wore off, that high from meeting her, he realized uh, he needed her to do this, do that, move this, change her life this way. And uh, as he did that, she became just like everyone else. He reverted to his habitual form of abuse, which is a very subtle abuse but it's there he's a chronic sort of manipulator he's and, a crank <laughs> and to me the the, the mm. just to drive home that point the very end of the film when he's sitting there with the japanese doll singing it that follows him basically having huge like 
a abusive moment with his wife in front of an entire party, surprise party that's there for him. And no one does anything. Like it's no one calls him on his bullshit. No one yeah. calls He's, him. Instead, yeah. they they walk by and he goes, hey, "It's great to see you." Like that that pablum bullshit. And it's like, holy fuck! Everyone around him is that same person, and they allow this. They're <clears throat> the enablers. See, that's where I really think that that's like that's the he could have had the killing stroke there. And I know you're going to disagree with me because you're kind of finding beauty in it, but I find that that. It's like they revert. It's you. You should go the other way. Someone should call him out on it. Then I would have like he would be forced to confront his problem. But instead, what it's doing is we just revel in it. It like, just is bad. Yeah. yeah, like the loud and clearly, he's an asshole. That's what this movie's about. Mm-hmm. Why don't we have anyone in this movie telling him he's an asshole? Is that because well, we have his Kaufman ex. wants fuck to you, dissect? Just fuck you. Yeah, but it's like got no teeth. He he ignores it in a way that is not it's not even like he he just straight up ignores it which i understand can be just a statement about that's how the some statement people deal it's the with same it's the same as lewin davis passing the exit yeah. where his son lives it's like yeah. he did have it there was a fork in the road there was he a just fork didn't in the see road. it as a fork in the road yeah but, but as as a counterpoint it doesn't acknowledge that hold on it doesn't acknowledge that <laughs> other people have agency in this world it's like Kaufman is creating a world so that he can just play out these, I mean, these little stories that just like feed right back into his, absorb into his perception of self. Oh, and, because, and I'm, I'm not going to disagree with anything you're saying, Gabe. I actually, the, the problem is for me, I have, I do hold in my head two completely paradoxical points about this film. I really do like this film and I appreciate a lot of it. I also find it frustrating and I hate parts of it. So it's, I, I'm not going to disagree with you. There's a half hour of the film they could have cut out of him ordering food, of him walking, mm. of him mm-hmm. changing. And like, I didn't need any of that. I literally didn't. I didn't need to see the guy masturbating across the the street from him. Why is that in the film? Anyone want to? Oh, my God. I got That's, nothing. In fact, that one, that one throws the whole thing apart, too. I, yeah. If everyone's operating sucks. his roles, what fucking role is that? That shows that people have agency, that they want to do a thing contrary to their not normal well, but to what he would want to like, see yeah oh, yeah or, exactly or is it and i'm i'm inclined to think uh again kaufman didn't really direct this this is two years of of the guys at starburns and there's a lot of stuff where it's mostly kind of sort of inside jokes the mm-hmm. toy store's name is dino's toys that's not a story point. That's a joke about Dino being the guy in charge of fucking Starbirds. Right. All movies kind of have those Easter eggs. But though. I do feel yeah, like Kaufman doesn't. Especially I knowing would... that the play was sound focused or dialogue driven only to the guy jerking off was probably just animators trying to figure out some some visual to fill time and fill space and make it feel like a well, movie. And, and we go back to if if you want to talk about the the drive of this and it, maybe not Kaufman's it was written and intended to only be seen. I think it was two nights mm. uh, and you had to buy tickets and there's no recordings of it anywhere. Like this is, this was done as a fun one-off as part of this experimental theater thing. Um, the sex scene that goes on for far too long and almost feels like an homage to team America. Team America yep. um, and it's, oh, it's so yeah. long. Um, that is actually in the play. But the reason it's funny is because they had fully artists there and, Jennifer Jason Lee and the uh, what's his name? Uh, the main guy, um, David Thewlis. 
stylus. Thank you. Um, they moan awkward. People in the reviews talked about how they moaned awkwardly as the Foley guy made noises of what was happening. And apparently mm. it was the funniest fucking thing these people had ever seen. That's fucking And great. I can imagine, like, if he's got two ribeye steaks slapping together mm-hmm. as they're, like, just the, the spectacle of that has its own unique meaning and it's a play on a lot of stuff. I get that. Uh, the sex scene was wholly unnecessary in this. And I was, I was waiting throughout it as to, like, okay, cool, sex is a thing where even in the worst moments of our lives, <laughs> in the worst sex we've ever had, uh, you have... Uh, you know, clarity after the fact, or you have weird experiences during, and instead it's only kind of awkward and never really comes to anything. Yeah. They, they missed the opportunity for David Lewis just to have like, as a little doll, like a team America doll say, I'm going to come yes. <laughs> like that. He could have had, he, they could have done that Very missed and they chose not to. Yeah, that's true. Horrible movie. <laughs> But it's it's like all of those I'm things. I'm gonna come. It's like, My face I'm fell off. <laughs> and there's uh, there's and there's so many things like it just it I I liked it a lot more when it first came out and then in my watching since then and I think uh, my watchings in the last couple weeks ever since uh, the uh, I'm thinking of any things which is a no arc incredibly depressing incredibly depressing. Uh, sort of film that's very sad about the world and the way people treat each other, uh, I think makes the points of this film uh, a lot better. Yeah. Well, I think, I think this is well said. You defend it. You guys defended it adequately in the way of like what it, I think justifies. And you guys are right. Uh, it's not the worst movie. <laughs> I sometimes am hyperbolic just because it's Charlie fucking Kaufman. Yeah. There's two things I just want to end my bit on is that first off, I think that there there's kind of uh, an unspoken agreement between like movie goer and art group who creates the film. And I know you keep saying it wasn't directed by him, etc. I, I understand it. But Adaptation is also my favorite version of him, and he didn't direct that. So I, it's not about direction. It's about writing to me um, in this one case. Uh, uh, <clears throat> there, there's, a, there's this unspoken kind of agreement that like, if it, it looks like a thing and it has this speed and it does these kinds of things, which I understand it, like a lot of independent features will try to want to play with this trope when you do those things you make me think that it's going to be like an art film let's say and i understand again that that may be a something we have to play with but by doing so you're asking me to look into each moment meditatively and to say okay now he's taking his time he's going over to the curtains okay what do these fucking curtains mean why is he sitting in this room? What is surrounding him? What is he not doing? These are the time. That's the time the movie's allowing me to do this. So when you don't give me those things, it makes me kind of angry. And I understand that what's cool about Synecdoche is that there's so much of it that it's like a big puzzle that you get to piece together. And the, it took me until after we did the podcast, but I kind of came to a realization of how I could like, espouse my view on Kaufman, which is that it's not necessarily true of this film. And I'm not saying this is like, you know, it's just how I see it. 
I think that there are beauty in things like constellations. I'll give the example of a constellation because they're stars that map directions and then we piece them together, right? An endless chasing of stars that point to a better picture, like a more resolved image, does lose its beauty somewhat. And as a formalist, I understand that this is where my formal attitudes stop because I'm way into that kind of same kind of stuff that you guys are into about trying to track all of that stuff like a puzzle. That is something we did talk about on the Synecdoche mm-hmm. podcast. But I think that there's there's some beauty in like not just getting that from a movie. And I think it's something that Charlie Kaufman misses sometimes is he stops. He's, he's doing so much of that that he's not actually speaking to people in general, he's talking. He's talking about. Uh, he's talking to people who are like him, and I come from and I look for movies that are trying to see in oneself how they are universal, because that's the point of story to me. So it's not about a more beautiful, resolved photo of oneself. It's about a beautifully simplistic version of something that we all can go. Oh, that's a lion in the I sky would or something say- like that. That's on point. I think Kaufman's scripts are introverts, not extroverts. Accessibility is not the number one priority of a Charlie Kaufman yeah. movie. And that's fine. I'm not saying that makes him worse. I'm just saying not for me. So that's all I wanted to say about that. So for me, uh, this uh, I made the comment earlier. I think this could have been the third in the trilogy of The Missing Piece, The Missing Piece and The Big O, where The Big O's going, he has a missing piece, and... He's going around and there's all these pie shapes on the ground and he rolls over them and they say, oh, I want to join you. And he goes, sure, roll along with me. And as they roll, they round out their edges and suddenly they no longer fit. And so he got he has all of these missing pieces that are rolling behind him, but none of them ever quite fit as he wants. That's the story here. It's literally the concept and the idea that a Shel Silverstein book inside of 10 pages could have told the story means to me it's it's too simple a tale and they never did anything with it in this movie. And that's the part I find frustrating. It's true. And the movie is only an hour 28 or something. And if you cut out the parts that wouldn't have been in the play because they're fully visual and silent, uh, you really get the impression. Like, I understand now. Charlie Kaufman whipped this off as a one act essentially and now they're sort of spinning it up into a movie and it's not really um so that the media mismatch totally makes sense to me Uh, that i don't blame anyone for yeah i guess producers but like speaking of the big o more puppet come next time more more puppets okay i'm going i'm I'm gonna just ask and we have i need an answer what what? No, really, they fucked. He fucked the the toy he gave his kid. Why is there coming it? He he flew back. Did, oh, did he fuck it right before he walked in the door? Mm. He gave his kid live cum. There's that's not how cum works. I assumed <laughs> live cum on set. Live cum. That's true because uh, I had God. assumed that. I had assumed that the the doll he didn't know it was actually used for sex, but it was. It came with cum, and that was someone's old cum. But that would be dry cum. No, that. That, it would also be, of yes, and also it, it's been at a store. In a glass <laughs> case or something, if I remember, and then it was Who's, on a plane yeah. for hours. Where did I mean, the that's cum maybe a come of, from? Maybe it's a function of the toy. Maybe that's an aspect of the Is toy. Is that it shoots can, out a novelty goo that's made to resemble cum? 
All I, I can so. think, honestly, is it's the same thing as Dino's toys and the uh, the guy jerking off on the computer. It's a cute singular line that's intended to get a chuckle, but doesn't have any greater meaning. It's the it's the simulacrum. I think so. of Kaufman. And I yeah, and like you said, I think it's the stop motion people just adding pieces as they go that they think are neat. Without necessarily, it looks like come, it looks like come Michael. A, what the fuck? A good play. It has been what said. Does it mean? Uh, what does the come mean, Michael? In a good play, every line should the subtext should bear on each other. Every single line should be pointing towards something so the shape emerges clearly. Um, there's a lot of arrows in this movie that just point in random directions, so it it gives you a fuzzier picture than you could otherwise have. I think we've turn the movie inside out at this point pretty effectively and i and i'm mm-hmm. certain we're gonna have people on the comments telling me i'm an idiot and here's what the cum means symbolically mm-hmm. uh, yeah because in Please because in kaufman's me. early works as he wrote about cum now you know i don't know kaufman's early cum poems and i'm sure mm-hmm. someone has a history of them online yeah, somewhere I'm gonna learn well he graduated that. magna cum laude all right it's time to get out of here <laughs> 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 yeah. at the yeah, many went to the seminary um anyway oh, God. damn it we are God damn it i'll say it if no one else will damn we're good at talking about movies brooks you always bring out the best in us man you always raise the uh the discourse to a very high level i appreciate that well at some point i do want to do um uh, i'm thinking of ending things because i really do like the musical oklahoma yeah and i ah. think you're right that I'm thinking of ending things as almost the same story, but in a puzzle box, uh, in a more Kaufman-esque puzzle box, which makes sense because it's something he wrote intending it to be a movie, and then it became a movie. Should I... Oh, sorry, I interrupted. Oh, I was just going to say, and Jesse Plemons is great, Mm -hmm. always. Everyone in it is wonderful. Yeah. Uh, Should I watch Oklahoma before I... Yes. Okay. Yes. No, it's... Uh, for anyone listening, it's a part. if you have not seen Oklahoma recently and don't know the story, the movie will make no sense. <laughs> uh, yeah, you could read a Wikipedia synopsis and the movie would make sense, Leave I would say. But there's two songs you really, really need to know from Oklahoma for it to really resonate. Because they are the big symbolic key to understanding the rest of the movie, the way they're yeah. used. Yeah. Well, Brooks this is always about that. also thank you for dealing with a barbarian like me who doesn't get Kaufman. Because right. I know I can always hear you go like biting your tongue and going, <laughs> no, like, it's, yeah. oh, well, here, let's talk about this now. And no, I'm like, it's, I'm, it's, it's I like the gracious. discussions because here's the thing. I don't like I like filmmaking as an art, but I don't know it. I don't know that side of the world that you guys do where you make these things. I know from watching it, I know from overanalyzing it and being neurotic, which is basically all of my talents is literally just being neurotic. And so as we dive in, it's like when we did Ichi the Killer and you're talking about the art of the filmmaker, how different it's like, yeah, these are things that are important. It's always good conversation. Just because you're completely wrong in Synecdoche, New York in every way doesn't mean mm-hmm. I don't think your, your opinion is not valuable. Well, once again, Grace. Yep, and we will <laughs> we will never cover Eternal Sunshine because that's that's too commercial. <laughs> Only the weird shit. Really? No, we could that's cover weird. it. We'll be f- someone. Someone else might want to. It's weird, it. I but know. I always forget that it's Kaufman because it feels it's it's not it's not Brooks weird. You'll have to find someone else to review that. It's one. a little like he mainstreamed himself. I think for that one, just a bit. He sold yeah, out. My mom likes he that. Sold movie. out, Kaufman. Yeah, that's the Kaufman movie you show your mom. 
Yeah. Then you ease her on to adaptation. Um, <laughs> to the hearts. That's right. <laughs> Thanks again to Zach Schwartz. And if am I speaking you, out Zach. of line if I say we're going to open the Pick the Flick tier up soon? Have we reached uh, the end of the line with our backfill? I, we have officially, as of the release of this episode. Woo! We're all caught uh, up, baby. Yeah. Um, there is a friend of ours that we might do an episode for just because uh and i also wanted to maybe give like one or two frame rates for us to just do whatever we wanted to do. right that's because that's a- it's been literally two years uh because we just did this wrong we we said everyone should come in and everyone should get an opportunity to ask for one and then we just couldn't come out with them fast enough because we have other shows and everyone's got you know uh stuff Real to life. do it's true yeah, and so like, we we'll got get- behind and we apologize thank you everyone who's oh, yeah. been a pick the flicker this year. We're sorry they were like three months late, uh, and in like one or two cases even more. And that's horrible. And we're bad at we're we're bad service. Well, that's, we'll pr- really bad. We'll limit the tier at a lower cap, but I still think it would be fun to get get it back in the mix. But you're mm-hmm. right that there's some heavy hitters. Like you all want to hear Dob again on the network. I know you do. Looking at statistics, um, but he's not going to come on to talk about whatever random movie. You know, he wants a, a an unmitigated masterpiece like a clue or some shit. So uh, we mm-hmm. can also get some. There's people we miss and we want to talk to them, and so we have to have some slots where they pick the movie. Because that's how that works, usually. Yeah. Also, our next guest, I believe, for the next frame rate. Uh, do we want to spoil yeah, it? Yeah, do it, man. I think it would be nice. Yeah, uh, we're going to have Jason Pargin on, and we're going to be talking about Nightcrawler. Yep. Having David Wong back, a.k.a. Jason <clears throat> Pargin. Yep. Yeah. Thanks again, everyone. Love you. This has been a small beans endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash small beans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash small beans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the small beans grow into huge giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you!